0: Um, I am uh, Don Thompson. In full disclosure, I uh, have an MPH, a Master's in Public Health and Tropical Medicine. I do not have a THM, as the book says. I, uh, I have a Master's of Arts in Cross-Cultural Ministries from Dallas Theological Seminary, but not a THM, so I am not a preacher. I am a poker of skunks. I am an innovator and a change agent. poking poke an awful lot of skunks to drive progress. Uh, but not a preacher. Um, my uh, experience with skunk poking has been in uh, a long career in the Air Force. I just retired last spring and will be sharing some of the lessons that I have learned and that most in the military and, uh, and the government have simply observed, um, and uh, we'll go from there. So I want to. Uh, Talk about getting started in any kind of missions work. You need to have a goal, of course, and you need to have a strategy to get to that goal. Once you develop your goal, you want to break it down into its component parts so you can identify what it will look like when you're done, when your task is complete. From there, you can identify the different tasks that, uh, that must be completed and then the resources and the capabilities that you would need for each of those tasks. Only then do you step back and say, okay, what can I do? What do I have? Where does it fit? In the military, we call that requirements-based planning. You start with the end in mind, and then you work backward. All too often, we do this backward. We start with what we have, and then we ask, well, what can we do to move into, to move towards a particular goal? Um, as you can imagine, this, uh, this can lead to a lot of action that really doesn't accomplish much. Has anyone in here taken biology 101? Remember that, uh, that concept called Brownian movement, random, purposeless? We see a lot of that when, uh, when this kind of, of uh, planning is turned on its head. There is a kind of planning that's called capabilities-based planning, but it, uh, it should be used after the requirements have already been defined. Uh, and then you then you work on a certain kind of capability to get to that requirement. But if you're trying to get started in missions work, if you're trying to add a new capability or a new capacity, or if you're stepping back, if you're evaluating your efforts, um, you're not satisfied that you're making the progress that you think you should be making, then it's appropriate to step back and reevaluate. So that's what we'll talk about. If your goal is kingdom work, fortunately, There is an instruction manual with a clear end in mind, and that's Make Disciples. By the way, in case you're getting CME for this, full disclosure, I'm not going to be talking about any FDA-approved or off-label discussions. I will be uh, shamelessly promoting one book, which most of you already own, um, and I will be uh, implying a certain uh, medication called the Balm of Gilead, but uh, FDA doesn't know anything about that. So that's my full disclosure. Anyway, our our instruction manual has a very clear end in mind, and that's to make disciples. How do you do that? Well, it already says that. You go, and you teach, and you baptize. So we're going to talk about these steps this morning in the context of working with others, of building partnerships to do this planning and then to help carry out our plan. Many, if not all of us here, are here because of our interest in the health sector, when health is, while health is not directly mentioned in the Great Commission, it certainly is mentioned in a few other places in Scripture. So let's unpack a few of these Scriptures a bit first. Uh, first of all, service to the needy is a characteristic of the kingdom of God. In Deuteronomy, the, uh, the uh, charge is very clear. It says, You shall not pervert, pervert the justice due an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. We have been redeemed. Therefore, we are being commanded to do this thing. And this thing has to do with service to the needy. When you reap your harvest in the field and you've forgotten a sheaf in the field, don't go back and get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow. Why? In order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Pretty tight tie there from work for the work for the poor, work for the needy, and that your work will be blessed. Again, in Psalms, uh, the, uh, the, our God is described as a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows, as God in his holy habitation. And then in Isaiah 9.17, remember the context for Isaiah 9, the first uh, Early early verses say something about a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, prince of peace. We'll be singing a lot about that in coming months. But here, just a few verses later, Therefore the Lord does not take pleasure in their young men, nor does he have pity on their orphans or their widows, for every one of them is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth is speaking foolishness. In spite of this, his anger does not turn away, and his hand is still stretched out. Pretty nasty stuff. But this verse talks about his judgment apart from the Messiah when people have completely rejected him. We're in a different period now, a different dispensation. So this drives home the point that we, in this period, are to serve the needy. Other things in our textbook. Medical work is singled out by Jesus as a sign of the coming Messiah. Luke chapter 4 the book of the, the prophet Isaiah was handed to him to Jesus. He opened the book and he found the place where it was written, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free th- those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord." And of course, this is a quote from Isaiah 61:1 that Jesus read. Remember, Jesus then had the audacity to say to his audience in verse 21 of Luke 4, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. His audience knew very clearly his claim. He was claiming to be the Messiah. And, and again, that quote from Isaiah, um, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set free those who are oppressed. Uh, a few chapters later in Isaiah 11, Isaiah speaks of the shoot that springs from the stem of Jesse, on whom the spirit of the Lord rests. So this is yet another messianic prophecy. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness, with fairness, with justice, for the afflicted of the earth. And then in Matthew 11, John's disciples ask Jesus, are you the expected one, or shall we go look for someone else? Just an honest question. Are you the man, or shall we keep looking? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. doesn't need to say anything more. He answered the question so blatantly. So medical work is a sign of the coming Messiah. And then medical work is singled out as a divinely appointed ministry, Matthew 25, where many of us are very familiar with that. Then the Lord will say to those on his right, Come, ye who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to drink. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink, to uh, eat. You know what I mean. You can, you can read it up to do your fact-checking. I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then in verse 40, the Lord will answer, the king will answer, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to any one of my of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. What's James say? Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And then uh, James in the next chapter, as I, as I mentioned above, it's implied. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in, in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm, be filled, and then you don't give them what's necessary for their body, what use is that? It's empty talk. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So, so we have three different uh, areas in, in our instruction manual, it very clearly says there is some justification for this health work. It points to God. So now let's talk about some effective planning. Some very good deliberative requirements-based planning has been done for accomplishing the Great Commission with the goal of making disciples. Again, that's the, that's the target up on the wall, making disciples. Many focus on evangelizing. Many of these, uh, these, these planning efforts, they focus on evangelizing, teaching others to evangelize, teaching for the sake of discipleship, teaching others to make disciples, or coming alongside such groups to enhance their efforts. Notice the repetitive emphasis on teaching, 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 and partnering. So we want to apply our health care skills in a manner consistent with the instructions that our Lord gives us sensitive to needs, as an act of service, always with the goal of steering people to the Redeemer and His truth and in a sacrificial manner. Effective missions, effective medical missions, calls for an understanding of the requirements for success, and I'm putting success in, in uh, uh, quotation marks, but both this success both in a spiritual context and a physical context what we have to bring to the table, what we lack at the table, and then how and with whom we should engage. Now, essential what, what is essential is making sure that change is left behind. There is some sustainable change that the national team, whether that's national partners or whomever it is with whom we're working, is better off. Otherwise, we, have, we will have just wasted time and money at best squandered opportunity and maybe have built resistance to those who may be following us and could actually do things more effectively than we. There are, unfortunately, many examples of what not to do. Without giving lots of examples, suffice it to say that they often result from a failure to keep the end in mind and to consider the cultural context in which the work takes place. This is an oversimplification, of course, but others have written plenty about these failures, so I would rather focus on the positive, on the right steps to take. Many of the resources that are out there that describe the wrong sources and and the failures of various programs focus on large governmental and international developmental aid programs. Some of these books include uh, White Man's Burden by uh, William Easterly, Dead Aid by Dambisa Moyo, and Lords of Poverty by Graham Hancock. I've got all these written down, by the way, in a, uh, in a reference sheet that, uh, that you, can, you can get if you're interested on your way out. Um, the errors cited in these books, all of these books, are remarkably similar and demonstrate that while some of these lessons have been observed, they are not being learned. And then another book, of course, that critiques short-term missions, something that's more a little closer to our, uh, our hearts, is uh, Serving with Eyes Wide Open by David Livermore. We'll address many of these problems in this discussion, and then in in shameless advertising, I'm I'm giving another talk tomorrow morning called uh, Building Sustainable Medical and Public Health Capacity. References for it are also on this sheet, and that will be a much better talk. So uh, come tomorrow also. Planning for effective resource management. So we've talked about effective planning for effective missions. Now we're going to talk about planning for effective resource management. So whether you're new to missions, as I mentioned, or you've been involved for a long time and you're stepping back for a period of evaluation, first consider the end goal, making disciples. When you consider partnering with another organization or an individual, or or if you're engaged in a time of self-evaluation, you should ask yourself several important questions. Number one, are disciples Christ followers being made? How do you know there are disciples being made? Is this discipling taking place in a sustainable way? I take this to mean are steps being proactively taken to build the capacity in the national partners to do this discipling? The outsiders, the external partners, often us, should be able to leave someday saying and knowing that their work is finished. doesn't mean giving up. That means moving on to another area. Another uh, question to ask yourself, are actions and activities sensitive to particular cultural considerations that may affect sustainability? Lots more on that tomorrow morning. Is the work sacrificial? Is it, uh, is it with a servant's heart? Or are you padding your bank account? is the goal to steer people to the truth of the Redeemer. If you're satisfied that these long-term spiritual goals are in place, then the next step is to consider what actions might improve resource utilization. What resources are out there? Resources are personnel, people, uh, time, and money. On the people side, question is, uh, are the right skills being used in the right place at the right time? What skill might be missing? What new skill set could increase your effectiveness? Each of us has a personality or lacks a personality. Certain personal, interpersonal relationship skills. There's a long scale on that. A degree of spiritual maturity. We have certain technical skills. And then we have a varying degree of experience in using each of these. A position in any kind of missions would be, likely require a particular combination of these and then reduced effectiveness could result otherwise if that particular combination isn't there. So you might have the perfect personality, the perfect interpersonal skills. You may be acquiring the right technical skills for your desired position, but you may need to develop or to acquire experience in applying your your technical skills in a particular setting. So that's where some partnership uh, may be necessary. Next is time. Are the right activities being done at the right time by the right people? When you have an effective strategy in place and implementation of the strategy has begun, there will often be certain steps that must be taken place first and then other steps will follow. Getting these steps out of sync may not only reduce or prevent the likelihood of achieving your overall goal, but it may actually build resistance or resentment to the efforts by you or some future group. I saw this quite a bit in uh, in my uh, year in Afghanistan when I was in the military and um, overseeing a lot of our government's health, uh, health reconstruction work because there were some efforts that were like step seven. They ought to be done five years from now, but there are a lot of things that need to be done first and second and third and fourth. And because they weren't being done, step seven was – First of all, not being effective. It was crashing and burning. It was generating more corruption. It was generating animosity. It's incredibly embarrassing to, to uh, the uh, federal agency that shall not be named but has health in its name um, that, was, that was getting this out of sync. So timing of what needs to be done is, is crucial. Time spent sharpening a particular skill or gaining a certain experience or being mentored in a certain area. A specific area may multiply effectiveness far beyond the initial investment. Now, despite the appearance that I seem to be saying that if something isn't working, you must immediately stop, reassess, and change course, let me clarify. Faithfulness and perseverance is a scriptural truth. Luke 18 talks about persistence in prayer. Luke 8 talks about persistence in bearing fruit. Romans 2 talks about persistence in doing good. So persistence is important needs to be done wisely. Conditions do change with time. You may take the exact same action over and over and over and see no apparent change. Turning on the light switch, you know, keep turning it on and off, on and off, on and off. Nothing happens. How long are you going to keep turning it on and off? Well, all of a sudden you turn it on and the lights come on. Well, conditions change because power was restored to the building, for instance. So all of a sudden your action has the desired effect. What a coincidence, or what providence. The bottom line is that it's important to evaluate and reevaluate as you go along. Lack of, of progress, lack of success, does not necessarily mean stop, though it might. It should be considered a prompt to make sure you're doing the right thing at the right time. And then third resource is money. There's never enough to go around, which is a good thing. As we know, money is the root of all evil. Well, no, actually, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. I mentioned earlier that many negative negative examples over the years of failing international aid programs, and each one of those was based on corruption from lack of accountability for developmental aid. This corruption penetrates very deeply and can undermine every aspect of, of whatever type of project you're undertaking. A few months back, there was an editorial in the Washington Times by Ashraf Haidari, the political counselor of the embassy of Afghanistan in Washington, D.C. He pointed out that corruption is not a cause of weak governance, but it's a symptom of weak government governance. I'll be talking a lot more about governance tomorrow morning. That's shameless promotion number two. Um, when I I discuss, again, building sustainable medical and public health capacity. Be that as it may, responsible management of funds is essential, both to get the most bang for your buck and to model and teach good stewardship. (coughs) Needless to say, there are huge cultural minefields around money, around corruption, around bribes. Two books that go into this in great detail are African Friends and Money Matters by uh, David Moranz, and then Strange Virtues Ethics in a Multicultural World by Bernard Adenay, both again on this uh, resource sheet. So, the rest of what I'm going to talk about is partnering for effectiveness. I'm going to talk about uh, quite a bit about partnering for effective community development. While not all medical work is focused on community development, I want to focus on principles that apply broadly and can be used to develop a good partnership strategy. Now, partnering means coordination and collaboration. I once once saw a uh, a theory of levels of coordination. So this this theory had five different uh, levels. Number one was information sharing. That can be one way where person or group A sends information to group B about what they're doing. Nothing more than that, so it's one way. Second level is uh, coordination, where you actually talk a little bit and coordinate. If you're going to do ABC, then I'll do DEF. So there's coordination as the second level. Third is collaboration. You actually decide to do some degree of working together. That really gets risky. Number four is uh, interagency or intersectoral strategy development and implementation, where you may work across different levels of government. Um, Health may work with agriculture and education, but you, you're actually developing a strategy that works together and, and implements your projects together. And then number five is merging projects where you actually have a project that you're coming together, working on, on uh, at the same time. And, and believe it or not, I found that in a, in a book written by an NGO preparing people to go to Afghanistan to, uh, to minister in Afghanistan. The government doesn't believe in that, believe me. Um, uh, later, after, actually, I saw a much more accurate develop, uh, definition of, of uh, coordination from the government's perspective. Coordination is an unnatural event performed by non-consenting adults. <laughs> I don't personally feel quite so cynical. Close. Not quite. But coordination and collaboration are a ton of work. As a matter of fact, when I was asked to, uh, to uh, consider going over to Afghanistan a few years ago as a command surgeon, the, uh, When the CENTCOM surgeon called me, he he said, I need you to uh, help fight our greatest enemy over there. And the enemy was not the Taliban. The enemy was one of our own government agencies that just does not play with others. So my source for much of this uh, this section is a book that has been advertised over and over. It's Just and Lasting Change When Communities Own Their Future by by a couple of tailors, I think Carl Taylor was one of your one of your key speakers last year. So much of this um, much of this comes from pieces of that. If there is any must read book for partnering, this is it. And they highlight three important partners. These uh, partners are community, government, and experts. Community is the most is the first and the most important partner in which the, the community in which the work is to be done. The community is the foundation for sustainable action. It has a certain social structure, which is almost certainly different than that in which you you, uh, grew up. The community can bring cohesion around an issue. It has the need, and it knows which needs are more or less important. The community is responsible for identifying solutions, for implementing solutions, and it will take responsibility for any ongoing work, that is necessary to maintain any progress. It won't be you. It won't be the government. It will be the community. So the bottom line need is community ownership. Another important partner is government. Government has a responsibility to enable the people of the community to develop and implement their own solutions, has a responsibility to do that. Effectiveness varies. Government officials often must adjust policies, they must adjust regulations, they should facilitate cooperation between different factions, and they should channel essential resources and adjust financing mechanisms appropriately. Government may, play, may put in place key demonstration projects where innovation and exploration can take place. Notice a lot of conditional statements in there. Government can, should, might... Um, has the responsibility too. So government is it, uh, it varies, and I think we uh, we can even claim those same subjunctive terms in our own government. The third partner is uh, experts, the outside expert. And I'll put um, many of us in that category. That's the role that most of us will probably play. Outsiders can play key roles such as stimulating commitment, as introducing new ideas and techniques helping monitor change, and identifying practical alternatives. But the the most important characteristic of these outside experts is that they restrict their role to enabling change rather than prescribing how that change must occur. So enable, don't, don't prescribe. And you see the issue here is control. Every partnership will have someone or several someone, several persons in control. There are clear advantages when you have a a certain partnership to having a charismatic leader with vision and the capacity to mobilize and organize, um, organize people. Such leaders are hard to find. They're harder to replace, and they may stray as others stop checking their missteps, and then they become arrogant. The most vital feature, though, the most vital management feature of these partnerships has to do with control, That uh, those in authority must must relinquish control gently and more quickly than they may think comfortable. Government officials are usually the main obstacles to performing an effective three-way partnership, typically because of control issues. Uh, Infusion of external resources into these, these partnerships is particularly hazardous. These resources, again, may be money, may be training, may be technology, but they they do not necessarily mobilize community energy. As a matter of fact, they often drain self-reliance out of the community and generate dependency. Taylor and Taylor highlight findings uh, in their book that were developed by John Grant back in the 1930s, so 80 years ago in China, that demonstrate how crucial partnership is for health systems work. Good health, here, here, are, uh, here are some of these uh, findings, or eight of them. Good health care depends chiefly on social organizations, on partnering. So this is nothing new. Partnering with other groups. Number two, a vertical health system cannot stand by itself, but it must be integrated with other social activities, partnering with other social sectors in the community. Number three, socioeconomic progress depends on demonstration under local conditions of new methods that are scientific, that are efficient, that are economic, and are practical. So demonstration projects are are very important. Number four, community use of modern knowledge lags when scientific investigation is detached from society. You can't do this in a laboratory. You have to do it in the community. Community partnering is essential to demonstrate effectiveness. Number five, effective community demonstration projects promote self-help. They encourage a two-way flow of professional and administrative services at a financial level and at a technical level that is appropriate to the local area and then they have mechanisms for extending the findings to other areas community partners must partner community members must partner with outsiders who have the appropriate financial expertise the appropriate technical expertise the appropriate administrative expertise so lots lots of partnering i'd like to say like i said i'd like to say i just discovered this myself but it was written 80 years ago in china A couple more. Number six, planning must build from local units of organization rather than by imposing central administrative practices on the periphery. Community partners must be in control. Number seven, professional training should be in keeping with the needs and resources of the community. Partnerships must be culturally appropriate. Number eight, successful social development requires a supportive political framework, a a, uh, supportive economic framework and equitable distribution. Partners must include the appropriate political players, but they should not defer control to the political uh, players. Again, it's got to be much more balanced. This uh, photo behind me is uh, uh, some of my closest friends in Afghanistan. These are five – well, the Minister of Health is is there in the center – and then flanked, he's flanked with deputy ministers from the Ministry of Interior that, that's in charge of the police, the Ministry of Higher Education that runs Kabul Medical University, the Ministry of, uh, of Finance, and the um, – who did I forget? Public Health, um, Finance, and Defense, of course, yeah, the, the, the uh, Ministry of Defense. And then the uh, Afghan National Army Surgeon General is at the far end with my interpreter standing behind them. These, these uh, five folks are all together signing a memorandum of agreement, which in this culture is extremely important to have something written, some kind of doctrine written before you can go forward and do anything. Um, I look at the, the MOU that we, that we spent uh, six weeks running from office to office wordsmithing and coordinating and, and uh, could not believe how little the MOU actually says but it's absolutely essential in this cultural setting for people to go out and take take first steps. The Ministry of Public Health is in charge of this, and all the others were comfortable with that because it seeded a little bit of the pie to each of these these, uh, different ministries. And this was a uh, signing ceremony that took place when we opened up a a new regional hospital for the Afghan army. And the first thing that happened after this was the... uh, was community members came up and started challenging the Minister of Public Health with when were they going to get a hospital in their area? It was wonderful democracy at work. Okay, so um, next is some motivations for partnerships. Why might you partner with others? Access to a lot of different things, access to resources. Does someone else have the time or the experience or the money that could contribute to the particular project in which you're interested? This expertise uh, could be political expertise, could be cultural, could be administrative, could be technical, could be something else. Does someone uh, else have access to an area? Uh, They know the local social structure. They know who are the key key opinion leaders, the key decision makers. How can you engage with these individuals? Who knows these things? Who has tried in the past and, and succeeded? Just as important, who has tried in the past and failed? Number three, access to key decision makers. Who should be approached at what time and in what way? Number four, access to national experience. What has already worked in this specific area or in this type of work? What mistakes can be avoided next time? I can share some scar tissue with you so that you won't repeat these, uh, these same things. Or we can develop more scar tissue together. Uh, Another reason to partner is to overcome, overcome conflict. Partnering between government officials, community members, and outside experts, as I mentioned in the past how important that is, that does not eliminate conflict, but it can establish a mechanism where conflicting parties are forced into a dialogue. It's the dialogue which is key. It's not the structure. It's the dialogue that's key. Partnerships that allow such dialogue are crucial, and can also strengthen a community's ability to resist external exploitation another another reason may be to uh, build more robust cap uh, capability the right ingredients may be in place but your effectiveness may, may be increased if you can invest in a particular area to bring the appropriate balance to your capabilities and and uh, again rounding out capabilities was something you might be lacking. Shameless self-promotion number three. More detail on these areas in tomorrow's talk. Now, what are some of these capabilities? You may need some bureaucrats. You may need some managers, some politicians. These are all important partners when you're trying to assist with sustainable change. Because often, again, as I mentioned, policies may need to be adjusted, laws, regulatory bodies, marketing, trade, transportation, access to information. I don't understand this stuff but the good Lord created people who have a passion for doing this right, and I need to find them. Administrative infrastructure and organization must be created, including effective personnel management processes. And then program management may need to be formalized over the long term. So believe it or not, you do need bureaucrats and managers and politicians. Something else that you'll need, you'll need accountants. Financing mechanisms may need to be created. They may need to be adjusted including people who know a lot more than I do about savings and about lending. And then you have to have people who have the ability to do audits. You have to have good financial accountability. And then you need entrepreneurs. You need people who can think outside the box, who are willing to take risk, who are willing to bring other perspectives and and willing to consider strategic alternatives. You also need people who can beat them back into the box sometimes because they are comfortable with taking risks that you may not be willing to take. And then you need hands-on academics. This is in contrast to ivory tower academics who sit in their office and pontificate. Many of the best resources for experience and for advice are in academic institutions where they have the freedom to go out to the field and try new things. And then, uh, of course, lots of technical experts, experts in engineering and science and medicine and agriculture and many other areas. But bottom line, sustainability collaboration is crucial to build a more effective team and developing national leaders that can take on more and more responsibility is what the real need is, of sustainability. What are the different means of partnering? Many types of organizations may be involved in the area or in the type of work that you're considering, and some partnerships may be available with them. Governments are often seen as a source for resources their Uncle Sam is a money bags at least in the US government but the uh, these government entities some of them may actually function as partners in other locations many government efforts contract with NGOs as they're implementing agents but there are some exceptions and I will uh, praise sozo international that operates out of this church as, as a great example of forming effective partnerships with with uh, with government and private organizations. And I'm sure Bob will be glad to talk to anyone about uh, the wonderful things SOZO has done and some of the the risks that uh, come from various partnerships. International organizations are other potential partners, WHO, World Health Organization, UNICEF, World Food Program, and others may all be options. And then, of course, NGOs. These are probably the most plentiful partnerships, and many in much of the medical work in both the U.S. and in other countries. Some are formed to do one task in one location, while others are much more broad-based. Some are willing to partner; others are not quite so willing. Needless to say, I'm not doing justice to the topic of NGOs here, but uh, that could be—that has been the subject of weeks of, co- of uh, conferences. And then churches, of course. Churches are local organizations that have a particular mission, that of discipling, right? But churches also have a lot of people who want to serve and who need to serve. Resource sources. Sources can be foundations. Sources can be government, local government, U.S. government. There are lots of private resource for, uh, sources, private uh, individuals and companies who want to donate, and then uh, lots of international uh, resource sources. Now, the, there, there is a real art behind getting money from some of these sources. Grantsmanship is, is both an art and a science. It requires real experience. It requires a strong network, and it requires a good bit of research. So partnering with someone with experience here in grantsmanship is a real plus. What are some targets for a partnership? There will be quite a bit of overlap as I walk through some of these areas. One is service delivery, direct delivery of healthcare services, immunizations, maternal child health, HIV, AIDS care, clinical care, et cetera. Um, I myself would be very cautious here in, in direct service delivery. I'll go into more detail tomorrow morning. That's shameless self promotion number four. There's at least one more coming. Um, another target for partnership is uh, development. Top-down leadership, as I've mentioned, combined with expert assistance from outsiders, can support community decision-making about developmental needs. Mobilized communities can maintain pressure upon the political system to continue support. So So the community can then agitate a little bit to make sure that the politicians and government make the right changes to continue support and to continue to expand services. Community members with appropriate support from outside experts are are, uh, important in this development because, as I mentioned, they identify and prioritize community problems. This this may perhaps be based on a health assessment via some kind of a household survey or a neighborhood survey. They plan solutions in ways that are unique to community needs and resources, and they they can formalize solutions in an annual work plan. You may need to help them figure out what an annual work plan is and and how that would look. But that's, again, that's the key in the partnership. The community members will make decisions, need to make the decisions on the use of funds for personnel, for supplies, for equipment, for maintenance. And then uh, they'll monitor and evaluate local health program effectiveness and monitor the attendance and performance of personnel. You'd be surprised when you have some uh, community members who realize that continued influx of these resources in this partnership, when that's dependent on them functioning properly, you're going to find a lot of internal desire to make sure that this works right. And uh, um, a a 40-pound purse can be a quite effective weapon in making sure that people play properly. Another area for for, uh, another target for partnership, training and education, these, uh, these training strategies can be cascading down, so you teach new roles at all levels. External trainers, national experts can train regional trainers who then train provincial trainers who can then train district and local level trainers who can then train the, ga- the grassroot workers. And training cannot be taken away from someone. Once they have trained, they have had their their level of expertise raised permanently, and that's something that cannot be taken away like a pair of sandals can be. Uh, learning evaluation activities can help to foster a culture of learning from experience. So, train people not only in whatever this particular skill is, but train them to look from the outside and see how well they are doing in learning that. There are lots of vertical programs out there that are some of them are very well funded. PEPFAR is funded well for HIV/AIDS. A lot of maternal and child health programs, tuberculosis control, immunizations, lots of other vertical programs. We'll talk more about that in a moment today, not tomorrow. And then, uh, and then, capacity building I feel is one of the most important targets for for uh, partnership, and that's that's. Uh, where you're driving some degree or facilitating some degree of behavior change in the project community to achieve lasting results. Most members of the partnership benefit simply from gaining new skills, as I mentioned on the training side. Most people in the community benefit simply from gaining these new skills. Those in, in positions of power need to learn to share that power. They need to give up exclusive control and then shift into more of a guidance role that empowers others rather than fostering dependency. When, uh, when outside experts share control and interact with local people, then the outside experts and the local people learn the difference between these solutions that are based on scientific theory alone, ivory tower theories, and then solutions that are both practical and economically feasible. And then uh, crisis management and humanitarian assistance deserves a, a special uh, discussion, and there are actually a few workshops that focus just in on this. These, uh, these settings deserve their own comment. Uh, whether it's whether these crises are due to war or other, kind, other sources of conflict or natural disaster, a lot of aid often flows in from outside. Now, during a crisis, there's often a tendency to return to pre existing conditions. Just take things back, rebuild everything as closely as possible to what was there before, and and rebuild the the setting that, that, uh, the conditions that set you up for the problem. So it is possible to utilize these crises to make life better than it was before, To, uh, to set up demonstrations of the potential for change and provide some long-term outside assistance. Outside experts can work with people over an extended period of time to test new ideas, to teach new experts how to adapt, how to promote better ideas. Um, Some of the barriers, some of the bureaucratic barriers and cultural barriers tend to be surmounted when people cooperate in new ways during an emergency, and they may be more willing to take collective risks. So there's actually a... a, uh, period of of, uh, opportunity during a crisis where you can actually drive some important change. The the overwhelming need precipitated by the disaster then can create openness to new relationships to relationships that are more equitable. Outside experts are particularly important during this time. Their outside perspective and their technical skills can convert the emergency response into a foundation on which to build longer term change. So with outside help different systems, different factions, and different policies that were barriers to, to uh, progress can actually be regrouped in the context of this emergency to support more, last and ju- more just and lasting patterns. So uh, uh, wrapping up here, what are the different uh, criteria that you would use to monitor progress? There, there are some criteria that have been floated by uh, some community development experts, and I would suggest that these are re- also in our textbook these uh, focus on doing justice. These focus on loving mercy. And these focus on walking humbly. So that is uh, that is in our textbook. Uh, first of these is equity. Are uh, in, intentional steps being taken to narrow some of that gap between those with power, property, or privilege, and those without. Equity co-ops unrest. And equity provides a glue to hold together collective action in, in a community. <clears throat> Number two, sustainability, which I've been foot stomping all the way through this. Are cultural, environmental, and economic resources available over the long term to do whatever whatever it is you're trying to do? Interdependence, are linkages within communities and between communities being strengthened? Are linkages between developmental sectors, such as health on one side and education, being strengthened? is the community remaining in control. So in, interdependence is very important. Holism, our development activities integrated between sectors such as, as again, health, education, agriculture, uh, economic, and transportation. So uh, something is going to be more likely to be sustainable if it uh, integrates those different sectors. Collaboration, as I mentioned, is internal colla- uh, competition being broken down, is power being shared? are factions being brought together? A collective community vision is essential. And then iteration is learning from mistakes taking place and are corrections being made. Can one or two small areas be found for early successes to build momentum and team credibility? It's more important to do something that may be not, that might not be on your first uh, one of your highest priorities and demonstrate success in that partnership and then you can take on the big the big project so building doing some little steps that succeed is more important often more important where do you find uh, where do you find partners you uh, you first have to prepare to partner by making a plan as i talked right up front you do an internal assessment Identify your key strengths. Identify what you lack in order to be effective. Identify your red lines. Identify areas where you will not compromise. If you will not work with people with red hair on Tuesdays, then just get that right up front. But identify those particular areas where you won't go. Um, identify desirable functional area, if it's a certain technical area that you're looking for, or a, or a uh, uh, desirable geographic area. So go ahead and do that internal assessment so you've got a pretty good idea of what you want to do and what you won't do. And then you do an uh, external assessment. You look around and you identify like-minded organizations. Is anyone else doing what I want to do where I want to do it? If so, partnering with them may be the way to go. Taking them out may be another way, but partnering is much more uh, much more appropriate. Uh, and then you ask the question, do I have something to, at, to offer these organizations if I join their effort? Can I bring something to their effort? Or could we both be more effective if we collaborated or cooperated? So that's, that's uh, much of the external assessment. And then you prioritize your requirements, which you really need, and then you prioritize your desirables, what you think you need, and then you get out there and you make your contacts and you move forward. So what's the, what's the bottom line? What works? We know programs that are integrated with existing services and systems do work. Long-term efforts are much more likely to work than short-term efforts. What does not work? Standalone, vertical programs. They're very rarely sustainable. You can put an awful lot of money into them. You can get some benefit, but they're very often unsustainable when, that ex- when those external resources are, uh, are, uh, are pulled. And then short-term efforts often um, do not work. So short-term efforts are great if they're integrated into the right long-term program. So that's all I have, and I'd be glad to take your questions, comments, criticisms, and to see you tomorrow morning at 845.